Chris Hobbs here, president of TTT Studios, uh, where we make the dreams happen uh, in the software and design and development uh, here in Vancouver. Um, Over the years, we've met so many interesting people and heard so many great stories that I thought, hey, let's have a podcast. Let's share some of these great Vancouver international Canadian uh, voices and and hear the exciting things they have to share. So I will be doing this as often as I can and um, I'm, I'm really excited. We've already got some really interesting local entrepreneurs lined up who are who are volunteered their time to, to hear some questions from us and uh, you know share um, so that everyone here can get better at what they do and learn from each other. Um, so today we have Chris Breeks uh, from Major Tom and I'm really really excited because uh, his story is uh, very tied to uh, the TTT story. Uh, which, which is why you know we're doing this because I think there's so many interesting things that we can do and share together locally. So uh, off to Chris. Thanks again for uh, joining us today, and uh, let me just give for all of those who who are in the know and who want to know. Uh, so Chris Breeks is a widely recognized and regarded as being a man of ideas, innovation, and boundless energy. And fact, fact, and fact, uh, he's an entrepreneur at heart. Chris recognized a trend pointing to significant business potential in digital marketing, and in the year 2000, his agency Major Tom was born. He leads a team of 55 digital strategists across three offices in Vancouver, Toronto, and. New York. Chris focuses his time on business development, leading the sales and marketing team, as well as heading up research and development and launching new digital marketing products, which is very similar to what I do. So I think we've got a lot of uh, good energy here. Um, Chris is energetic and infectious, a true leader, connector, motivator, and public speaker. Despite a hectic schedule and an array of commitments, Chris does everything with a smile, and that is a fact. And for those who are just listening instead of seeing, I can tell you right now, the smile is present. So thank you. Thank you so much, Chris. I, I, I really appreciate uh, you, you you joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm fired up. Let's do this. Let's fire away. Fire away. So first off, um, the pandemic, this COVID thing, apparently it's affecting people. How has it been affecting you and your business? I, I mean, I'm learning how to uh, accept anxiety uh, at a level. Uh, like everyone um, who's listening or going through this together, I think that has been the biggest change for me. Um, I mean, I think everyone has a fear of the unknown, but uh, there have been a lot of variables thrown into the mix, both personally and professionally. Um, but I'm an optimist. Uh, so I, I, I try and see the benefit in... Um, in not, not I, I, I see the light at the end of the tunnel and I think that we can come out of this swinging. Sure. Uh, but everything that I thought was true six months ago uh, is no longer. Completely. Completely. Yeah, so I assume just like us, you have these days where, you know, you can't do anything wrong. And then the days you want to jump out the uh, out, out the window, if you could, too, um, at, at least the stress. It's a new it's a new game for us in terms of we're really it's out of our control. You know, so we just do the best we can. And I think as an entrepreneur, I mean, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but as an entrepreneur, you're used to the ebb and flow and the good days and the bad days. But mm-hmm. this has been extreme, to say the least, <laughs> and, and to another level. You know, I, we've been through this a couple of times before with with uh, our agency. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we started right after the dot-com crash, uh, which was like mm. the worst time, uh, potentially. Oh, yeah. Uh, to start uh, a business, and uh, and then we also experienced uh, 9/11 shortly after. Uh, we mm-hmm. then had the downturn in 2008, 2009, where we came really close uh, to imploding. Really? Yeah. So I think that, but you know, just because you've gone through something uh, or hard times before, I mean, this this was uh, this was different and much more mature now as well. Um, <laughs> You know, you, you start to worry about your career, or your life savings, or you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know what's going to happen with my family, and, th- and those those mm-hmm. factors have come into play for me. I've got a young family; um, those external factors um, have weighed heavily on my decision making through these trying times, for sure. Well, that's really interesting. I mean, uh, you mentioned you mentioned you know multiple uh, ebbs and flows, or high points and low points. That I think we all shared. What, what, what's the one lesson that you have? across all of those from the dot-com to the, the housing crisis to well, all of them. What, what, what's the one 
lesson that you can share that you know allows you to keep going? There's many lessons that I've learned. Um, and I think though, the lesson I take out of this most recent experience has been, um, you know, I think that we had a nest egg and we had a cushion uh, built up, but I think that, uh, I mean, everybody, you know, hearing from a financial advisor or someone who knows money is, has recommended that you have at least three months operating capital or, or you know, whether that's your business or your family. But uh, most of us didn't have that ready on hand when this hit and when we didn't know whether or not we were going to be able to have any income for a period of three months, uh, you know, that was something that we were not prepared for. And that was a huge lesson. Whereas the other, you know, events and crises that we've been through historically have been much more gradual. Um, And there were signs you could see, there were warning signs you could see that something Mm -hmm. was coming. This really hit us with no warning. Um, And while we were prepared, um, I'm, I'm glad that we didn't make capital investments, both professionally or personally, that, uh, and we were able to ride out the storm. Same, because you don't want to be over leveraged in this sort of situation, because I'm, I'm assuming you're very similar to us. The first promise you make is to the staff and to make sure that, you know, you have to worry about yourself and your family, but you have to be so concerned about them and their families, because they're in it with the long run with you. I would assume you probably went through same concerns. We did. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, we had uh, layoffs. Um, and we lost we lost some really great people. Um, we were able to mm. hire a few back, but uh, everyone in the company also took you know temporary pay cuts, and um, we've we've managed to to get a little bit of government assistance, but we reacted very quickly um, with the thought that we wouldn't get any government assistance because um, I think that you have to run your business based on. Your own cash flow, and and if you do qualify for a grant or subsidy or something, or relief in some way, um, mm-hmm. then that's a bonus. But you, you need to be able to run without that. Um, you know, looking back on on this uh, event and pandemic, um, I think that my life lesson is that, and what I'll try and pass on to whoever's listening or or future generations is to be prepared for this kind of external event as best as you can by um, by having uh, savings and operating capital in place. And I think that's something you've been very good at and I've admired over the years as well. You know, we've been very conservative um, in, how, in how we do it. Um, so we always have a nest egg and exactly what you're saying, though. Uh, but in, in very similar ways, once this happens, I mean, you have to do the, the, the worst case scenario, the best case scenario and the probable scenario and really plan that out and then figure out, you know, how do you map your finances with that? And I'm going to directly contradict myself shortly. So <laughs> very good. When we talk about growing the business and borrowing money and what you should do there. So I think that it also depends on what stage your business is in, whether Very you're in startup mode. I think it, it matters not to be not to bring ageism into it. I think it depends on how old you are um, and where you're what stage mm-hmm. you're at in your career and in your personal life. Do you have other people relying on you? Can you take big swings? But you know what? I really liked what you just said, because I, I get that conversation a lot, you know, especially guys who are just or people that are right out of university and they're really prepped and ready to, you know, just, hey, I want to do a startup. Should I? My parents say I shouldn't. And my answer to that is, well, what do you have to lose right now? You know, I mean, this is the best time. You don't have family. You don't have kids. You don't have anything really that's holding you back. And I say, go for that big swing, because, you know, when we do things right now, we go for second and third bases. You know, at, at my age, it's all about just getting back up in the bat and hitting it as hard as we can. But we don't go for the the home runs. This is this is all about trying to make a you know a a, a, a business real. But whereas you know, I'm sure at the early days of startups, very similar to us, you wanted to hammer that ball. And it, but it, but you know what? If 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 you don't have the um, family and all those concerns, I say hammer it a couple of times beforehand because you can always. Uh, it's amazing how fast you can crawl your way back. Um, just don't go too crazy and be realistic with that. Yeah, I like that. I think also, do you, I mean, do you think it has anything uh, with to do with being a uh, Canadian and maybe we're a little bit uh, risk adverse? Hundred percent. At hundred. Well, in, in, you know, but just talking on that Canadian thing, what I thought was really interesting is you thought of it in a way that I that I think of business. Like the first thing when things went awry is we looked at what government programs are available, and this is something that I think as 
Canadians, we're, we're incredibly lucky, like incredibly lucky to have those programs out there. And I have a lot of conversations with our American counterparts who are like, oh, that's communism or that's socialism and, you know, all of these things. But I just try trying to explain to them that it's just a way that as a larger group, I mean, if we hire 55 people, well, everyone's winning, right? So if the, if the government is there to try to just make it more of an even keel because business is really like up and down and up and down and up and down. And if they're there to kind of give that defense, it's a huge savings for everyone. And so I, I you know, as a Canadian, do you, do you ever face Americans confused by some of our programs? Yeah, but I was, you know, I spent a couple of years in uh, New York. And at that time, I, mm-hmm. I got to participate in um, something called the Canadian uh, Technology Accelerator Program. We, we did the same thing in San Francisco. Oh, you did in San Francisco? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I uh, I was one of the few people that moved to the United States. Like the, the, mm-hmm. the Canadians, you know, um, they, they worked on it largely remotely, the other companies in my cohort, and um, to varying degrees of success. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've, we have found that there are a lot of programs also available for uh, American companies, especially those really? that are... Um, are female owned or minority owned, um, but there, there, there are grants and funding. If you're looking to set up an office and uh, developing uh, parts of a city or states, like so, I, I also think that there's um, there's more seed money available in the United States. There's more VC oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. money available. So they they have different um, support systems than, yeah. than we do as Canadians. Ours just happens to be government. Um, which I, you know, brings along red tape as well. You can't move oh, yeah. as, as quickly, and there's more documentation and requirements and meetings. And um, but uh, I think that you know, regardless of location, being able to take advantage of those programs and and hiring a consultant to do that is a great way to accelerate your growth. Um, I'm really intrigued by your life in New York, and uh, I know I think you did some time in LA as well, from my understanding. I or for did. Me to talk. I did. That went. Poorly uh, and pulled the plug on that. Sometimes when something's not going well, you have to also recognize when to cut bait. Um, mm-hmm. And we did that with our California office. Uh, and it took me three. Uh, it took me three uh, three times to get our Toronto office up and running. Um, I also moved to Toronto in the last few years uh, mm-hmm. to to grow and expand that office, um, which we're now scaling back a little bit due to this pandemic. Sure. Well, I've always I've always been impressed by how you've I I, I guess hey, you've been like an adventurer with you know again I know you have a young family and I've seen you know some really interesting posts through through LinkedIn and um, and and those about your adventures in New York and and all that and um, I think you're doing the right thing like I I think be, very few people like what you touched on actually go there for more than just meetings and I think if you create roots you create opportunities so I, I was always impressed by the fact that you did do that well and something else that I was doing is I was also trying to get out of the way so started the company in one city we brought in a management team the goal with starting a company was to always step back and and have someone else run it um, we thought that would happen in two or three years it took about 15 years um, <laughs> but we now have a, a senior executive and management team um, that's running the company and so I wanted to focus on new product development but also geographic mm-hmm. expansion we needed to expand our market um, and open up offices in other cities or so we thought we didn't think that we could service our clients a hundred percent remotely and and even now we've got our sites on other cities like Houston um, being able to trust the management team and trust our CEO um, and and to know when to get out of the way and focus on other things. Now, I literally got out of the way by moving to New York City, uh, mm-hmm. which was one of the best things that I could ever do. And um, my wife and I had been trying for a family for years and we didn't know whether or not we could have kids. And, and my son uh, came along um, and was born there. Um, Oh really? And yeah, and and so that you know it was a, a life experience that I I highly recommend for anyone. But you know, for the first fifteen years of running the business, you're working 10, 12 hour days. You're not taking vacations properly. You're not uh, paying yourself properly or accordingly. And um, it was it was amazing to be able to get out of my own skin and go explore a new city, um, and then you know 
uh, start a family and and then the new adventures that go along with that. Well, that's 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 just amazing. And you know, I, I just wanted to touch because you and I met. Well, I've, I've known you for a couple of years now, probably since. Well, I'll, I'll talk about it. actually for the first days of TTT. I've known you since those days, yeah. actually. But you gave me some advice a couple of years back, which was fantastic advice. And I remember going back and telling my brother David all about this. Is what what you said is you got to get out of the day to day. Because you can't focus on the day-to-day and, and grow a, a business properly. You need to let other people do that so you can focus on the strategy. And it was right after that that we actually hired Jose, who is our business development, as CEO. Because the second you said that, the light came out on my head going, you're 100% right. Like, you couldn't have said it any better because there's people that are better at this than me. I might have, you know, the vision and the gumption and the and desire and, you know, the personal touch. But you recognized, or you helped me recognize, I should say, that, you know, we need to put people in that are going to be slogging the weeds and doing it really, really, really well. And you just put people in that you trust and, uh, you know, that, that that will do well. So I, I've never, I don't know if I've ever actually thanked you for that advice, but thank you. Because it was, you know, detrimental to our growth as a company here at TTT. So I, I really do appreciate it. Oh, and that's advice that I received from other people along the way uh, as well. And I think as uh, an entrepreneur or someone who's running a startup, that is the hardest thing to recognize about yourself is when to, um, to, I don't like the word delegate. I prefer the word trust. When to, to trust other people. 100%. Um, and, and also when to, to work on an aspect of the business and not try and work on every part of the business. And, and as uh, founders, we feel like we need to be right in there and, and, and often we're putting our thumbs in things that we shouldn't be putting our thumbs into. So um, I borrow a little bit of that from Gary Vee, someone that I admire as, as, as zany as he is. Um, I believe in that trust. <laughs> so I'm happy I was able to offer some advice and I think that, you know, vice versa, um, been able to follow your career and trajectory and, and, and I've had a lot of learnings from oh, that. You're making well. me blush. I don't know if you can see that on a podcast, but you can see that now. I'm going to go back again. So, TTT, uh, we founded it, and within the first couple of days, I actually lived in Yaletown, really close to your to your office, your first office. So I I actually went in because we you, there was some reason to come and visit something about maybe you guys had a mobile project or I think maybe I just actually just walked in to talk to you guys and it was you and is it John? Yeah, it was must John, my, my business partner. We yeah. go back to grade five together. Amazing. But I remember going in and talking to you guys and I got so excited that when I left, I actually told my wife that I'm going to have an office exactly like theirs. Like this is exactly my mission. So you were actually very key to my understanding of where I wanted to go. So um, that that little probably, I mean, you probably wouldn't even remember, meant so much to me. I remember the day, I remember the office, I remember the conversation. And I think, mm-hmm. I think too, at that point, you know, we, we had a long-term relationship with our landlord, uh, mm-hmm. Mark James, uh, you know, wonderful fellow and mentor um, who was our landlord for almost, well, about 18 years um, as mm-hmm. we moved around various offices in that, in that neighborhood. Uh, and what we did is we, as we expanded and grew, we kind of globbed on offices on the floor. We moved into the building next door and we switched number plates with another office when they needed less space and we needed more space. But we were always very nimble and agile. And then our landlord was very cool about our lease rates and our terms and allowing us to upgrade the space as needed. And um, and at the time that we met, what the realization that we had come to, I think, was that we need to stop paying rent. Um, you know, we mm-hmm. paid over a million dollars in rent over the last, you know, 17 years at that point or 16 years at that point. Um, and we started, well, we started exploring options uh, of purchasing our, our first office. And, uh, and, and that, that has been a wild ride as well. That's actually another conversation that I had with you, which actually stemmed the idea that we need to do the same thing. So right after talking to you under your advice, I actually went and talked to um, whichever bank it was. The Business Development Bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, and started thinking about it. And it wasn't until basically when KPMG came in and offered us a real sweetheart deal about coming in here that we said, okay, we, you know, we'll, we'll stay. But, but I'll be honest with this, with this COVID situation right now, and obviously, I mean, you don't take an elevator with many people right now downtown. Um, and I don't mean in the sense of you don't. I mean, like, honestly, there aren't that many people downtown right now. You know, we are thinking about uh, purchasing 
uh, a place because exactly we did the math and we realized we are paying way too much, um, you know. But this isn't this isn't something that we'll probably do right away, but it's something that we're planning over over many years. What is your thought on the current situation right now with uh, with office space? It took us I don't know somewhere between five and eight years to buy our first office space, and mm-hmm. then we we bought a little building down the street from Hootsuite um, with. Uh, help from the Business Development Bank of Canada, like a lot of help. Um, we never thought that we would qualify for buying a space. And our landlord, Mark, you know, helped us out. He said, okay, it's time for you to leave the nest, so to speak. And um, we immediately went and, and bought an office and screwed that up royally, <laughs> but managed to come out of it ahead, like way ahead. Um, and then we didn't ever move into that space because uh, we had a tenant that we didn't realize could stay for an extended period of time. And so we sold that space very quickly and moved on and purchased another office space and then put uh, put a million dollar renovation into it um, and, and moved in there about two years ago. That's where I am now. And uh, yeah. and on paper, you know, it, it looked like we, we had... Uh, we made more money with the commercial real estate than we had in the 20 years of running an agency. Um, but of course that's all on paper. And now post uh, pandemic, um, the needs uh, for office space are, are changing. Mm-hmm. For us, um, we, we put our office up for sale um, recently, which was planned regardless because we don't, we, we recognize that we didn't have a need for as much space as we had. and. Mm-hmm. Um, we we bought space with the idea that we would grow into it, whereas now we're growing uh, ge- geographically and we have more people working from home. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think the need for the office space, you know, globally is dead. I, I do believe that we're going through a transitional phase, um, and and I believe that we need you know less office space, you know, much less. Like maybe we only need a third or a half. Um, but I've, you know, working in New York, I worked in, you know, on my own quite a bit, and, and I worked in, you know, WeWorks and other uh, office sharing environments, and I certainly know what I like and what I don't like. Sure. Um, well, you, I mean, your office space is beautiful. Honestly, it's 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 really good. And those who want to buy, this is one you should be buying because it really is. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah. One of the concerns I have with this new reality, though, of people wanting to work, you know, from home. Is you guys are very culture driven. We're very culture driven, and it's you know it's the it's the collisions, it's the being there, it's having fun together, and all that. But now, if you all of a sudden start saying, okay, we're going to work from home, and everyone's going to be doing their own things, my concern is you lose the culture, and everyone becomes mercenaries. Like there's no connection. I mean, do you, do you have a similar concern about that? I do, and and I think you know as a as an ad agency um, or as a, a digital agency, uh, a lot of the people that you know, we have, a, we have a blend of, you know, developers who tend to be more introverted. And then we have marketing people who t- tend to be more extroverted by just using some really broad stereotypes. Um, but people want to, mm-hmm. you know, get together um, and see each other face to face. And I mean, Zoom has been awesome, um, but we still want to create an environment mm-hmm. where people can be collaborative and can come together. Um, and so we're thinking maybe you come to the office two days a week out of, instead of five or uh, those people that, that want to work 100% remotely, they have that option as well. Um, and I think having less rules and restrictions on when you have to be somewhere and then creating an environment that allows for that kind of flexibility. And maybe that means desk sharing. Maybe that means installing lockers where people can... Mm-hmm. Uh, leave their equipment and and I think that globally we're going to see you know massive shift but I think companies like Shopify and Twitter uh, you know said okay everybody uh, can work from home or going hundred percent you know uh, remote and I was like okay great you're both publicly traded companies you can <laughs> yeah. you have all this infrastructure in place you can say and do things like that whereas Facebook has said hey if you want to work remotely uh, and outside of the Bay Area, expect that you're going to have a salary reduction. And, and you know, mm-hmm. very quickly people reacted and said, whoa, 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 whoa. I, you know. <laughs> so I think that there has to be both give and take from the employer and the employee. But um, I think that 
it would be a mistake to think that things are going to continue on as they were before. We need to evolve and we need to change and listen and adapt. I think that's really well said. I actually had a private tour of Facebook's campus uh, last spring, and I, I'd be there. I'll tell you, I'd be there every day if, I, if that was the case, because they have more food stations than, than a cruise ship. Yeah, they're smart, right? Like those companies have, you know, uh, you know, barbers on site and, you know, yep. we can handle your dry cleaning. And, and, and I think that we have to find some balance too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that for us, we mm-hmm. try to create an office culture where there was you know, always a place for you to, you know, be able to lock up your bike. You know, most of the people uh, in our office commute either by transit or by walking or, or uh, riding their bike. Um, you know, we have a shower on site. We've we've tried to uh, make sure that there's snacks and coffee, not to the extent of a, a Facebook or a Google, but um, we, we've tried to provide an environment um, that is uh, safe, uh, and and fun and exciting for people to come into, um, and and now the, the the fact that that's been taken away from us, it, it, it for me has made me reevaluate wh- what our values really are when it comes to office space or when it comes to collaborating and meeting. It's kind of funny because when you look at the bottom line, it's the biggest cost short of short of employee salary. Like the the office space is the biggest cost, yet for me. I see it as such a valuable part, you know, almost like it's a clubhouse that creates energy between people. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think it's easier for companies who have already had a culture built than ones who are going to start today. I mean, the company, the COVID companies of today, I don't know what that's going to be, to be honest. I could not agree with you more. Like, what does a startup look like today where you don't meet, you know, uh, your colleague face to face for two years? And all of your communication is over Zoom. Uh, what what is that experience like? I mean, that's to me is fascinating. I like to go when I'm in the valley. I like to see you know where Apple, you know, the garage and all that. What would we do? see a URL on Zoom now? Oh, that's exciting! The latest da 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 was created. You know, a- anyhow, I, I digress. Well, well, tell me, tech marketing. I mean, you guys have done such a great job with it. Um, what got you into that field? Well, it's a long story. Um, well, we have time. I'll, I'll tell the short version because okay. I I went to four different high schools and uh, and it's not that I was getting kicked out of them, um, but I wouldn't say I was the best student. <laughs> but I was pretty good at sports. And uh, my sister was a straight A student. She's a very successful doctor. Uh, she's like Mother Teresa. She is the perfect individual. Played piano. Um, and she truly is amazing, uh, one of my heroes for sure. Um, and so my parents, I think, you know, tried to send me to the same school that she went to, which was out of district, and I rebelled against that. Anyway, I ended up bouncing around from mm. schools, went to an all boys Catholic private school for a couple of years, and rebelled and managed to graduate with wow. all my friends in the end. Um, but I didn't really graduate, mm-hmm. and I had transcripts from four different high schools, but they weren't digital back then, so. Uh, when I presented them to, you know, Capilano University, which was called Cap College back then. But um, I I don't think that they noticed uh, that my science degree or my science degree, my science credit rather was missing. And and I got myself into business administration, um, (laughs) which I dropped out of about six months later. And I started working uh, for my brother-in-law in in the hotel industry. And but uh, on the side, I started building websites. So this is the mid nineties. There weren't a lot of websites around. And, and my dad bought me an old used 386 computer, uh, with like a 14, four baud modem just came out. So I had this old computer with a basic internet connection. And when I was a bit younger, I'd, I'd been on BBSs and things. And, um, so when the internet first came out, I was in high school or right around that high school, college, first year of college age. And uh, I started building websites um, just by stealing other people's HTML and reconfiguring it and launching my own thing. Um, and, and I built a couple of portals. Um, so I had this, this, this ambition and this side business. And, and back in the 90s, very few, in the mid 90s anyway, very few people were making money from the internet. Um, and so it was just a hobby. Fast forward a few years and, and got into the late 90s and the internet was blowing up. I was working in the hotel industry. I decided to quit quite abruptly uh, because I wanted to go work in the internet. Um, And I leveraged 
you know, my experience with trying to get traffic to these tourism portals that I was building um, to land my, my first job at a web design and development company, um, of which I was fired after three months. And then I landed my dream job uh, at, at uh, Stratford Internet Technologies. And in 1999, uh, my career was launched. And uh, uh, it, was, it was an experience until we all got laid off, you know, in the dot-com crash you know, the next year. Uh, but, you know, I, I got a taste of what it was like working in digital. And uh, so I had a funny path to get to where I, where I was. And then, you know, for the last 20 years, you know, launched and created my own digital agency. We've got, you know, up to 10 million roughly in revenue and 80 employees. We've scaled back a bit from there during uh, the pandemic, um, but we're profitable. We don't, you know, we don't owe people money. Um, still, that's, that's re nice. still retain control. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's been a wild ride, uh, but th that's, that's, how, that's what it looked like. And I should also mention that I'm a serial entrepreneur and my business partners and I started mm -hmm. a number of other companies along the way, um, yep. Yep. and other agencies. And, uh, we bought a, uh, an eight unit apartment building in St. Petersburg, Florida and lost our shirts on that. <laughs> um, you know, we've, we've. We've tried many things, but the, what we recognized was is that this business, our core business was um, the most predictable and the one that generated the most uh, revenue and the most profit. And uh, it took me a long time to, uh, to recognize that. And instead of working on 10 or 12 or 15 different projects, you know, narrow the focus down to two or three. Um, and you know, that's, that's a learning that as an entrepreneur, um, I wish I'd learned that earlier. I wish that I'd um, really focused on the number one objective um, and gone harder. And, and I said I was going to contradict myself. You know, when you when you're at the point of your startup and you realize that you're going to hire your first salesperson, you know, I heard some advice a long time ago from uh, old friend Tyler Hassman who said hire two salespeople. Um, and I, you know, naively said, "Oh, is that so you can fire one when they don't perform?" He said, no, hire two salespeople because you'll you'll double your growth and you will accelerate that much faster. And um, of course I called bullshit on that and, and and didn't do it. And now I'm giving that same advice out when I talk to other startup founders. I think that if you have a good idea, go as fast as you can and be as focused as you can um, and don't be as distracted uh, as I was because I might've been a billionaire because um, we were really, really onto something and then life and timing and, you know, kite surfing and vacations eventually get, get in the way. Well, well let, me, let me touch on some of those ideas because I remember when Shang Li came out, okay? I remember it really, really well because I thought it was such a great idea. Yeah. Because I think, you know, the, 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 the touching points of New York and the business opportunity, Asia, and how Vancouver could be the bridge for it. It just made it made a lot of sense to me. Tell, tell me what was what was your thought process behind behind that company? Shangli came about quite by accident. Um, we Shangli the the concept for Shangli came came to us around two thousand eight two thousand nine. Um, and and what Shangli is first, I'll talk about that. Shangli is a digital agency that focuses specifically on the Chinese demographic. Uh, so helping brands reach. Um, a Chinese audience. And most people think, oh, a Chinese audience in China? Uh, well, that's part of it, yes, but uh, an affluent Chinese demographic that lives in um, in either North America or, or in the UK, but a, a domestic uh, Chinese audience. Uh, and that uh, what happened was our real estate clients and our banking clients, HSBC Bank, um, first brought the idea to us. And, and what had happened is they recognized that some of our employees were uh, native Mandarin speakers or born in mainland China. Um, and they said, hey, could you run some Chinese campaigns for us um, along with your regular digital marketing campaigns? Or could you do, uh, you know, Chinese language search engine optimization for us? And after the fourth or fifth client said to the said this to us, light bulb went off and said, OK, well, why don't we uh, launch a, uh, a line of services that cater to this demographic. And we did. And then in 2014, 
we decided to wrap a brand around it. And that's where Sheng Li came from. And Sheng Li loosely translated means victory. And our business name was 6S Marketing or 6S Marketing. So we thought the play on words worked well. Um, and so we launched Sheng Li um, with a plan to develop um, some ad serving technology that would allow customers to buy ads on Chinese platforms, similar to how we currently buy ads on Facebook or Google. Like you log in with your credit card, you buy the ads, the ads run uh, a little while later and you start getting traffic and conversions. Well, that didn't exist in 2014. Um, and so we, our aim was to create uh, a platform or an environment that was easy to buy ads on Chinese platforms, whether that was WeChat or Weibo or Baidu. Um, and today it's still not possible for a lot of reasons. So we got the timing wrong on that. Really? We were able to sign up a lot of clients and uh, build a nice book of business, but it was mostly service-based revenue. And what we wanted to create was something um, that was more technology related or, or SaaS. Scalable. And scalable. You know, I, I see, I'm someone who believes that service-based businesses are scalable, um, but you mm -hmm. need to be heavily uh, processed in order to make that work. 100%, 100%. You know, the, H H Jose, again, our CEO, who I, I will again touch on, you helped us find that light. Um, I remember some of the best advice he ever gave us was, you know, hey, first thing he did when he came in, find out the red line, like where's the bleed line? Find that out and then start working on everything above it. Because if you start scaling up and you have that bleed line still bleeding, you're just losing money anyhow, so there's no reason to scale that up. So, I mean, what, what you said, I think, is, is, is bang on true, bang on true. Well, tell you what then, success. I mean, Drive Digital, they were, t they were two to become, you know, Major Tom. What, what's the reason behind merging them? Well, in order to get to the reason why we had to merge them, is first we have to talk about why we created two separate <laughs> agencies. So Let's do that. we started 6S Marketing, which was a digital marketing agency in the year 2000. We started Drive Digital in 2012, which was a creative um, and web development agency. And the original thought was that we couldn't be both right brain and left brain, and that we should have separate brands and separate entities um, to uh, really focus on the the core competencies of each businesses and that and, and recognizing that they were unique while complementary at the same time. Um, we also didn't want to piss off all of our partners in the creative world um, by being um, competitive creatively. We'd always been uh, very data driven, very analytical, and we would complement those creative agencies. So. We wanted to fly under the radar a little bit and create a separate agency that we could distance ourselves from. But what we did, which was smart, was that we created uh, both agencies or Drive Digital under the same roof and we used the same infrastructure. So uh, the same accounting team, the same office space, uh, the same phone system or internet connection. Um, and what that allowed us to do was grow very quickly on the Drive Digital side of things. and. Mm -hmm. um, but what happened was after a period of, you know, five or six years, we found that we were, um, we were so complementary that we felt that we'd be stronger together, um, that the marketplace had recognized that what we were doing and that they were not referring us as much partner business because we were more of a threat. Um, and then the main reason that we decided to merge was that, um, we were not just marketing and we were not just digital. Mm -hmm. Um, and we needed to be bigger and we needed to be broader. And that's where Major Tom was born. Um, we also recognized that Facebook and Google primarily, all platforms really, but they were becoming much more automated and they were looking at ways to eliminate that middleman, so to speak, but that agency. And I think they still are. I think that they're the, the biggest threat to agencies exist, existence. So we had to become more of an agency and uh, become more of a, sorry, become more than just an agency and become more of a consultancy um, where we were looking at the over uh, the overall business goals and then trying to understand where the gaps and holes were and then try to solve some of those problems digitally. 
That makes a lot of sense. Um, well, where did, where did the name Major Tom come from? We brought in Frank Strategy and Chris Neary from Frank Strategy. He's famous for a couple of reasons. Um, mm-hmm. First, the TELUS Animal Ads. Uh, he was the mm-hmm. creative director at TELUS when those came out about 15 years ago. Um, and then he also got caught smuggling a uh, hockey bag full of marijuana over the uh, Canadian border and into the United States. It's better not getting caught. He got caught. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and he and he spent some time in in, in jail. Um, and when he came out of jail, he, uh, he he went back to Frank Strategy in this agency. But he had this grit and this this determination um, to be successful and um, and was extremely talented, um, um, but flawed in some ways potentially. And uh, it's funny now because marijuana is legal, both both in Canada and in Washington state, which is where he was trying to go. But that's that's another story. But we brought in Chris Neary and his team um, because we didn't think that we could do do the rebranding justice ourselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it cost us, you know, a significant amount of money to bring in an external agency to do this. But we stripped everything back to our core values and, and, and rebuilt from the ground up and rebuilt the brand from the ground up. So we're, how we landed on Major Tom was you know where we wanted to go was related to um, understanding the time and space and to look at things from a different perspective. Um, and we came up with a number of different names, and they all they all sounded like Coachella band names. <laughs> My favorite was the intermission. Nice. <laughs> Take a moment's pause to reevaluate. Don't jump into tactics right away. So we were the intermission. But then Chris Neary came up and said, you know. What about Major Tom? And I got chills. Just I got I got goosebumps talking about this because it, it it never felt so right. Now, of course, the name brings along you know obvious uh, you know relations to David Bowie and time and space. And we tried not to make the brand all about rocket ships and whatnot. But using a name like Major Tom uh, was bold. It was very different. Um, and. Uh, we went for it. Six out of seven people had it number one as their, uh, you know, the number one out of the seven names we picked. Six out of seven people said that was number one. And I hate doing things by committee, but uh, it was just it was obvious that we'd hit the nail on the head, and and we really went for it with this new brand. Now we made mistakes along the way, so we didn't do it perfectly, but. Uh, it's been a hell of an adventure. I remember when you rebranded. I got the the emails and everything, and it it just made sense right away. And I find a lot of rebranding is very difficult because it's it's success is known so well. I mean, Drive Digital too, but success is so well known in Vancouver. It, 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 I, whenever anyone asks me, "Hey, do you know anyone who does marketing?" Because we don't do the SEO or the marketing or you know the real good um, analysis, I would always just send to you. It was just like a, a given. It was just a success can handle it, and to have a big change. Um, I think that's scary, but I think you guys really nailed it, like really nailed it with it because it, it, it just resonated with me. And well, thank you. thank you. We actually rebranded two years ago this week. And, um, you know, the other day I was talking to someone at Salesforce and uh, they said, oh, we're Major Tom. They said, oh, I haven't, I haven't heard of you, Major Tom. I said, oh, we used to be known as mm-hmm. Success Marketing. And they said, oh, we know that. I was like, oh, <laughs> damn, we didn't do a good enough job on the on the transition. But there was so much legacy built up with that original brand that was around for so long um it was it was very difficult for me personally as a founder i had a lot of identity wrapped up in that name um but it was also um freeing in a lot of ways to move to this major tom name because it's not just you know john and myself who started Mm -hmm. it in my apartment 20 years ago it it has its own life and it has its own stakeholders and and it's not as attached to me as an individual personally and and that's been liberating and freeing. That's 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 super interesting. I mean, I, I actually really liked as well that you touched on about the it's really hard to rebrand internally. Because we we did something very similar. I actually really pleased with the with the outcome of what our marketing team is, but I did have lots of conversations as what would it have been differently or what would have been different if we had done it from a third party? Because when you do it from a third party coming in, it's like there's no eggshells or you know, you're not attached to anything. So it's like, well, I'm, this is what you should be. But when you do it internally, it's like, you know that people, just like what you said, I'm emotionally attached to this name. This is what we are as a founder. But 
you know, you get over it pretty quickly because you realize, oh, there's a lot of upside and, and, and all that. But uh, I, I'm glad to recognize that you thought that third party. I mean, did you ever contemplate doing it yourself, though? I mean, you kind of touched on that. but I knew we couldn't do it ourselves um, and be impartial. Mm. That was the problem. And, and I knew that as a founder, I, I had too much uh, emotion and history wrapped up in it to be impartial. So by bringing in this external um, facilitator even, um, it allowed every stakeholder to, to provide feedback. Again, didn't want to do it by committee. I still had at the end of the day, um, the right to overrule, but you know, I'm, I'm glad we did it that way. Well, uh, so am I. What's the next big chapter for Major Tom and yourself? A couple of things. I think um, we have a separate marketing team at Major Tom, which is funny. We have a marketing team for our own agency, but we spend about 5% of revenue on marketing and we have a big machine. We use HubSpot on our back end. Um, we were on Salesforce for a dozen years. We're now on HubSpot. Um, and we're moving into website redevelopment for a September 2021 launch, which is what, 14 months away from now. Um, and we, we, we started planning for it about three months ago. So imagine mm-hmm. we started planning for the next version of the website, mm-hmm. you know, 15 months out because we know how long it's going to take to do what we want to do next. But the the world is shifting and changing and we need to shift and change and evolve with it. And so our brand is going to evolve. Um, I think our website as well, we're, we're going to be creating a more dynamic experience so that um, the website will shift and change and evolve based on um, the information that we think that you're interested in. Um, and so this is this is very exciting for me. Um, one of my roles within the organization is that I work on the, the CRM for our own agency. Um, and we have written a very sophisticated uh, lead generation and communication system that I'm very proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what we're trying to do is find that silver bullet of how we can scale and um, Cool. Or is the model to scale? Um, or, or are we going to partner with other complementary agencies more and and um, create more of an ecosystem rather than a mega agency? Interesting. So yeah, I think that the, the, the future is bright. Um, mm-hmm. We weren't sure how this uh, pandemic would affect us, but we're strong, uh, we're fighting, we're coming out swinging. And I believe in my heart of hearts that we're going to scale um, but I just don't know if we're going to scale, you know, from 55 people where we are back up to 80 or 100 or 150 or 200 people. I don't know if that's what we want to do. Mm, so the risk associated, not necessarily just the risk, but the the stress that goes along with it, or the focus, or the craft. Can we really narrow our focus and work on projects um, that we're truly passionate about it about and, and love? Mm-hmm. Well, do you, you know, one thing that we have that I think is pretty important is that we have a scorecard. So when we have, you know, we go through the funnel, we use HubSpot too. So when you go through the funnel, after the first meeting, we actually have a scorecard, which is ten or nine or 10 different things, which, you know, says, is this something that we even want to do? Is this, you know, does it fit our, our, our CSR? Does it fit, you know, our, 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 the need and the identity and the soul of what we are? Do you have something like that? And what would be the number one no or go or no go on on that on that list for you in the scorecard oh i'm excited are you gonna provide that link to your podcast listeners uh <laughs> like find it down in the comments because uh we're gonna provide the template um i think that scorecard's brilliant um we uh we use scorecards for you know all aspects of our business we run on um a system called eos and the foundation of that is to have scorecards so i love that that's um, we don't do that enough, though, with with uh, you know evaluating what projects are the are the best fit for us. So, uh, yeah, I'd love to see a copy of that as well. well. Love to love love to share that with you. Then uh, that that'll be that'll be that'll be over over dinner drinks with you there, Chris. Um, well, hey, you know what? This is this has been fantastic. It's been so much fun too. I knew this was going to be fun. Um, 
But I think I think I've gotten through my my my, my good sets of questions, and uh, I think we've learned a lot about you know Chris and success and Major Tom and Drive Digital and the path and all that. And I, and I just want to thank you for being a big part um, in the Vancouver community. Because um, you know one thing again that I did early is I actually identified four people. And, you know, there's the, 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 the Boris Wurtzes and, the, you know, the, these couple of people. Yeah. And you were one of them that I identified early, like the very early days of this is the people that I need to follow to really understand the pulse of Vancouver and where the business is going to go. So I want to thank you for, for, for helping me discover that pulse and, and, and uh, you know, just being a, a barometer uh, within the local community for us to all aim for. So I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you very much. I, I, I definitely appreciate that. And. And I think that um, I wanted to ask, I want to ask you a question as well. Please. I I think that your listeners would be fascinated about the video game tournament um, that, that we, that you put together and we participated in together. Well, our our good team put together, you and I just showed up for it. And drank beers and it was great. (laughs) But the concept uh, I thought was, was brilliant. And I think that we're going to try and get more people involved for the next iterations of them. But I would love to just hear about how that came about. I should ask Pauline, because I I don't know what the genesis, I mean, the genesis of the idea was that we just wanted to do something within the tech community here in Vancouver um, and do something that's going to benefit. Um, you know, the, a great group like Canuck Place. And once, once you have that, you know, behind you, I think, I think people are really interested. I think it needed to have a identity that already exists for trust to be there. And I think it does have that identity. I mean, we had, you know, we had a great, great time, great fun. We had uh, East Side Games. I mean, those guys are fan freaking tastic uh, to take part. And I think, you know, once this COVID thing's over, because it's a little hard to do it, I think this needs to be local. I, th- I think it needs to be everyone get together and really mix and mingle and just be, you know, learn from each other while we're just having a good time celebrating a, a, a great local cause here. Um, but I think my, my big learning was I think we needed to have a history of it to show people that this is what it could be. And I think leveraging that, I think we can make something even yeah. bigger and better. Yeah. And, and just for everyone listening, it was a Smash Brothers tournament um, that the, the fellow from Eastside Games won. I believe. I Actually, think. it was Rob that won. One of oh, my it was guys. Rob. Yeah, yeah I was surprised because Eastside Games, the, um, everyone was good at this. Everyone. Um, I only say that because we had that 3D printed trophy for it, and yes. it's the only thing on his desk right now. Like, he doesn't come in that often, and it's on his desk. That thing is love, That's I right. say. That's right. Yeah, Rob. I mean, Rob was clearly the, the person to beat in that tournament. Um, but I, I thought that it showed also innovation and community um, and, uh, you know, benefited a, a, a cause that, you know, I think I, I believe in, uh, very much. And, and I think that, uh, in a, in a, sh- a relatively short period of time, you and your company have been able to become big leaders in, in the tech community here. So thanks to you. Just, just like you, we just want to make, we want to make it better for everyone that follows our leads. You know, because uh, at the end of the day, I'm going to retire at some point and I want to find 15 people that, uh, you know, maybe did listen to my advice, just like how I listened to your advice. And, uh, you know, it grew it grew to something even bigger and better. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Honestly, thank you so very much. Uh, and uh, I look forward to uh, continuing hearing the stories of all the great stuff that you're doing locally and globally. Hey, Afternoon Tea listeners. If you got this far, I'm assuming you liked this episode, and that's awesome. Thank you. In such a case, please make sure to rate and review Afternoon Tea Podcast on Apple Podcasts, and also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever the heck you find your podcast from. Afternoon Tea is a brand new podcast. We do have some great guests lined up for our future episodes, but we'd love to hear your thoughts as well. So please do let us know who you'd like to hear from on the show. You can do so by emailing me at podcast at ttt.studio. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at T-T-T, that's three T's, dot studio. Notice there's no dot com because we're that sophisticated. Furthermore, you can find us on social media at TTT underscore studios. Have an amazing day.